Hello and welcome to Cup of Tea with UHB Charity, a hospital charity podcast that focuses on inspiring stories from our NHS staff and patients from across our hospitals in Birmingham. I am your host, Ella Igledon. Make sure to tune in each Friday for a new episode. And if you'd like to be featured on the podcast, please send an email to charities at uhb.nhs.uk. I would love to hear from you. Welcome back to a brand new episode. This week, Gemma joins me to talk about her heart transplant and her advice to others awaiting the big day. Gemma built some amazing friendships with other transplant patients on the ward and is very close to a UHB charity favourite nicknamed Positive Pete, who I am sure you know all about. Now I have survived and now I want to live my my life in memory of those, Mm -hmm. my donor and those who didn't survive because I think that's really important as well. Since her transplant, Gemma has set up a support group, which I encourage you to check out if you want to join a community that will support you through recovery and one that truly understands. To donate to the Transplant Centre, go to hospitalcharity.org forward slash Birmingham Transplant Centre. Thank you so much for joining me today, Gemma. Um, Me and Gemma are going to be talking about her heart transplant journey, which is all very, very recent. It was last summer, so I'm really excited. Well, not excited. I feel like excited is the wrong word, but really interested to hear about your story. And I think talking to transplant patients is great because it offers advice to other patients and other families that are going through the same thing. So thank you so much for joining me today, Gemma. That's okay. That's my pleasure. Shall we go from the start with your story, really? What was life like before transplant? Did you have kind of any symptoms, any other health concerns before this happened? Did it kind of come out of the blue that, you know, you went through this? Yeah, it was It was quite out of the blue. Uh, the first thing that happened really was I noticed that my heartbeat just didn't feel right. Uh, it was about 2013 and I just noticed when I was waking up, um, it just felt very fast. So I made an appointment and it just went from there really. I was referred to cardiology department at Warwick Hospital and I ended up then being referred to Birmingham after a while because they didn't really know how to look after me there anymore. Um, I had a pacemaker fitted and an ICD fitted in 2019 and that kept me going for a long time but then I started to go downhill quite quickly Mm. um, after that and uh, Dr Bradlow referred me to the transplant clinic for assessment. Mm. So yeah, life before transplant was really just trying to find out what was going on. They originally thought it was an infection of some kind that damaged my heart, but uh, after transplant they actually found out it was genetic, which they didn't know before. Because that's what I was going to ask you, Did you know, in your family, was there any history of people having heart failure, heart disease? Was it something that you were aware of or are you the first person to kind um, of go through any of it? On my side, there's um, some cardiac issues, but actually my genetic condition comes from my mum's side. But okay. There's nothing, nothing there that we can find, no other concerns with anyone else. So yeah. I think it is just me at the moment. So when you finally got told that you needed a transplant, was that the news that you thought was going to happen? Do you remember kind of thinking what 
Did you have any idea what you thought might be wrong with you? So when you were told that you needed a transplant, did it come at a massive shock? Like how, how did you feel when that was said to you? I didn't think it would happen quite as quickly as it did. Mm. I thought it would actually be a good few years before I would need that, before I would even have to look into that. Really, I think that as soon as they said it, I kind of knew what was going to happen. And I knew that when I went for the assessment, it was really waiting to find out whether I was routine or urgent. And I actually thought I'd be, um, sorry, routine for a good few years. Mm. Um, But I went from routine to urgent very quick. And how how did you feel when you were told that? You know, you were going to have um, to have a transplant. Yeah, I was I was shocked. I didn't really know how to feel because I just I just really, really did not expect it. It wasn't kind of in my plan at all mm. of things that we thought were going to happen. I was obviously sad because I had to tell my family um, and explain to them really what was what mm. was going to happen in the next couple of years, what could happen and possibilities. So yeah, it wasn't, um, it just wasn't what I was expecting at all. Mm-hmm. It took a long time to get used to the idea yeah. of having to go through it. So after you were told kind of how long then were you kind of put into hospital at the QE? What was the kind of time frame? Were you admitted straight away? Um, no, I was, I had the original assessment in December 2020 and I actually went on the routine list. So that's kind of, what me and my wife expected would happen. Yeah. We we did think that I wasn't anywhere near urgent at that point. But unfortunately, things changed really, really quickly, which, again, is not something we expected. Um, and only 12 weeks later in March, I went to urgent listing. So I had felt myself deteriorate just in those couple of months. And really, I'd, I just knew, I knew things were getting worse. I'd, I would no one knew why. We didn't, we didn't understand why, um, even the cardiologist didn't actually understand what was going on. Mm. But my heart was just not pumping at all, as it should. Um, and it was just so enlarged, it was suffocating my other organs. So when I went urgent in March, it was, it was kind of a relief. Um, but also, again, you know, it's just you get put in that, that next place where you know that you're going to have to wait in hospital mm-hmm. um, for a heart to become available. And whilst, you know, you've been told all of this news and you're going for all the assessments, how did you keep, like, a positive attitude about it all? Like, what, yeah, do you have any advice to other people that are in that stage before they're actually going into hospital and they're going to have the transplant? How did you keep, kind of, your head above the water with it all? Was there anything that worked for you while you were going through that stage? Because I can imagine it is a complete roller coaster. you know, waiting to be admitted and stuff do you remember how you felt yeah it was an absolute roller coaster I think um a big part of that for me was my wife she's incredibly positive and practical um we did a lot of walking uh, we went out a lot um in the evenings and just talked about everything talked about all the possibilities and went over the things that could happen and I think you know my family are great at keeping me going and you have to remain positive because you are going to go through something so massive that really you just have to understand what's going to happen. I would say my only advice really around that is I don't research too much because every single transplant story is different. Yeah. 
um, and it would be completely unique to you. So there's only so much you can read about it. Um, but try and speak to people who have been through it as well and ask as many questions as you can, people that have actually experienced it. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of help out there. There's a lot of support in terms of um, support groups, Facebook groups for each hospital. Um, and they are and they are really, really helpful and really useful, definitely. Mm -hmm. So when you were admitted to hospital, how did you kind of keep yourself busy whilst you're, you know, waiting for that news and waiting for that knock at the door? What Do you have any advice? Because I know, speaking with other transplant patients, it is that wait constantly. Um, yeah, have, what kind of helped you get through those days whilst you're, you're waiting? Probably the biggest thing that helped me was... I made friends with the other transplant patients on the ward mm -hmm. and we really got through it together. Um, we spent a lot of time together talking through things again um, and just keeping busy, you know, trying to, trying to keep moving, trying to keep active. The worst thing you can do is just sit and wait because you have no idea when it's going to happen. So mm -hmm. it's about keeping busy, keeping your mind active and not letting yourself go down a hole of negativity knowing that it will happen at some point but just not to focus too much on desperately waiting for it to happen just try and get through each day um and that yeah that knock will come and mm -hmm. they will come into your room definitely so before you got that knock then how long did you say you were in hospital about four was it four months no actually so when i went urgent in the march um there wasn't a bed available right for me because people were waiting so a bed became available in the July 2021 and I got admitted. I had to go through some more checks and mm -hmm. um, go on to a, a drip um, that helped support my heart until transplant. And then I actually got listed officially on the 29th of July. And then it was only a week later. Oh, wow. I didn't even realise it was that fast. Yeah. yeah. Oh, so that wow. was really, really fast. Um, incredibly fast actually and I think I was hoping it wouldn't be long but I, even I didn't think it would be that fast mm. so I was incredibly lucky for it to happen so soon. And how did you feel when you got that knock at the door? Do you remember the kind of like the time? Do you remember any of those initial emotions? Yeah I remember the time and I remember the transplant nurses were just so happy they just couldn't wait to <laughs> tell me and they were just standing there grinning and it was just it was amazing it was and they were saying should we call your wife what do you want to call your wife or should we call your wife <laughs> I was like no I'll call my wife <laughs> and so yeah it's uh it was incredible and they said to me you know it because I'd had a stand down they said it probably will go ahead this one it's looking good already mm -hmm. so I think I knew then that actually it would but yes the that feeling was actually, I, was, I wasn't scared at all at that point. I was just overjoyed that I had that opportunity. Mm -hmm. And you've just mentioned about having a stand down. How did you pick yourself back up after that happened? Because I feel like that's quite common with a lot of transplant patients I've spoken to. Some of them, you know, have had about five different knocks at the door and sadly it hasn't gone ahead each time. How do you pick yourself back up after that? You know, you think it's going to happen and then sadly it's kind of taken away from you. How, yeah, do you have any advice on how you get through that? Uh, stand down is really hard because it's that build-up of emotion. You know, your family might be bought in um, and you really think it's going to go ahead and then a few hours later you find out it's not going to. 
I think you just need to realise that the team just want the absolute best organ they can find for you. And um, if there's anything wrong for it, they're not going to put you through that. Mm-hmm. So you have to pick yourself up by just saying that that was just not my, that was not my organ, that was not my chance. Um, and having faith in the team that they will find the right organ for you. Mm-hmm. So you have to, you have to just believe that that wasn't your time and that it will come and then the next one will be. So, but yeah, stand downs are very, very difficult to get over. I, th- I find a lot of patients who have them crash, crash and burn about 48 hours later, but that's, I think your body just processing what's happened. Yeah. So that they are difficult, but each one is, you know, obviously bringing you nearer to the, the actual time. Mm-hmm. And what was that phone call like with your wife? Do you remember what you kind of said? Or I can imagine it was very emotional, but do you remember what? what was said on the call yeah so um she was out driving she was she was working but she was Mm. going to a place of work so and I rang and I didn't even say I was going to say busy but I thought no (laughs) because then she'll know so I said hi I've got a heart (laughs) and she said well that's exciting (laughs) what shall I do and I was like well come to the hospital as soon as you can Mm. so she did she came in straight away and we had yeah quite a long time before before what before I went down to theatre. But yeah, she was overjoyed and I just couldn't wait to see her. I couldn't wait for her to come in when I told her. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it was, it was lovely. I'll never forget it ever. I'll never forget that phone call. Mm-hmm. And did you have any anxiety? I know you said you weren't frightened this kind of second time around going through it. Um, yeah, did you, you know, when you're actually going to the theatre, did you have any anxieties? Did you have any worries about it all? Honestly, I didn't at that point. I was so, I was so calm and I think I shocked um, Claire, my wife. It's just how calm I was. Mm. I think that I was, I was just so, so happy that it was going to go ahead. I was so excited. Um, and actually I managed to stay completely calm and I just remember thinking, you know what, I've got no regrets at all. I've had a lovely life. I've done a lot. Um, and obviously I really, I really hoped that I would recover mm. and that I would be fine. But no, I, I just, I put my trust in them and yeah, said goodbye to Claire and then went to theatre and I was chatting away and then I was asleep, so... And how long do you know your operation was? Do you remember how, well, obviously you wouldn't remember, but were you told how long you were in theatre for? Um, I think it was about 10 hours. Okay. And then I actually had to go back in the next day. There were a few complications. So altogether, I was intubated twice. um, And my kidneys were really struggling Mm. after. So I was actually asleep for a week and then they were trying to wake me but they couldn't um I just kept protesting against it so after a week they wake me up in intensive care very very slowly Mm. and then yeah I spent another week there yeah and when you woke up do you remember I mean I'm assuming you were still under lots of medication and stuff but do you remember that first initial feeling of I've I've done it. Like I've I've been through transplant. Do you remember that moment? I do. I do remember waking up. I was quite delirious, but I do remember waking up and thinking, "Where am I?" And then, as soon as I realised, I thought, "Wow, 
I survived. Mm. Um, and at that point, I just thought, obviously I didn't know what day it was. I didn't know what was going on or what, what had happened. I remember thinking I just wanted to see all my family yeah. at that point. Yeah. But I was, I was aware, you know, really that, that what had happened um, and I was very lucky to wake up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you've mentioned your family. Do you know how they were feeling whilst you were in theatre? Did they kind of, because, you know, with Pete, he had that WhatsApp group that was, you know, being updated. Was there anything that helped your family that you would, you know, advise to other transplant patients? I don't know if you've ever had the chat with them, what they they yeah. managed to do to cope. Yeah, they had, um, before I actually went into hospital, and this is something I would advise is to make a, a chat group with all your family and friends that you want to know. Mm-hmm. So you don't have to update on social media, but you can update everyone in one go. Um, so a few weeks after transplant, when I was able to, I read all the messages that they'd sent while I was asleep. And mm. to be honest, they were just having a good laugh about me. <laughs> they were talking and saying all sorts of things that was just lovely, how they kept each, go, each other going and was just so nice. Um, and I'll keep those messages forever because they all supported each other. They really mm. did, all my friends and family. And it is it is lovely. I can see when things were tough that, you know, Claire was giving them the information they needed, but also trying to find humour in it and positivity. Yeah. So she was updating them, but, you know, keeping it honest as well. Yeah. But, yeah, definitely do. Definitely do a chat group because when you read those messages in the future, it's just lovely. It's so nice. Mm-hmm. And what was it like seeing your wife and your family again? Did they come to your bedside in hospital after you had your transplant? I know you said you were asleep for a week, but yeah. kind of how fast were they allowed to come and see you? Um, so my wife was allowed in and she was the only person that was allowed in. Um, actually, on the day I woke up, they were trialling a new scheme mm. where um, a patient's chosen member could come in for two hours okay. at a time. And Claire was the first person to do that. So... And I think that's because I asked for her to come in yeah. as soon as I woke up and they actually said, we're going to trial it with her. So she was able to come in and see me. My other family members who who did want to weren't allowed, obviously because of restrictions. Mm-hmm. Um, but as soon as I was able to, I FaceTimed everyone and managed to update everybody. So that was lovely. Mm-hmm. But really, I didn't see anyone at all until I went home. So it was, it was just Claire. Um, but yeah, when I went home, I was desperate to see to see everyone. Yeah, I'd really miss them. And how long were you in then? So after transplant, you know, were you in a few weeks, a few months? Yeah, I was only in a few weeks. So I went home, I think, five weeks to the day after mm. transplant, which is about a kind of an average time for for a good transplant. Yeah. Um, my kidneys had started working again, so I ended up going home kind of middle of September. Yeah, so it wasn't too long. It wasn't too long at all, mm. actually, in the end. Yeah. So I went from intensive care to the cardiac ward and then uh, back on to 304, which is the ward where I've been waiting. Mm. And what has recovery been like, you know, when you first woke up? I know you said you had problems with your kidneys. I know with some transplant patients, it's learning. Some people have to learn to speak again. Some people have to learn to walk again. What was recovery like for you? And did you have any massive obstacles you had to face? I think my biggest obstacle when I woke up was I, I couldn't eat right? and no one knew why. Um, and I just couldn't, no matter what they offered me, no matter what they did, I was really struggling to eat and I lost quite a lot of weight really quickly. Um, and I'd say that's actually, 
that was one of the biggest hurdles was learning to eat again. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't actually until I went home and could have various things at various times. But it was probably a good few months, really, probably Christmas time when I was able to actually eat a meal again. Um, yeah, learning to walk was something I wasn't really prepared for. I didn't realise quite how weak I'd, I'd be, but obviously yeah. I lost a lot of muscle mass while I was in intensive care. Um, physios were great and got me walking again. And then when I came home, um, again, you know, Claire, my wife, she, she made sure we went out and about, mm. even if it was just a really slow walk. We got lots of fresh air. Um, she wanted me to obviously recover as soon as I could. And then I started cardiac rehab, mm. uh, which completely changed everything. And it was just lovely. It was great to meet so many people. And they, they had a proper programme for me. And I got a lot of strength back then. And I was able to walk properly again and drive again mm. after that. So I'd say those were the two main things, definitely. Recovery is just something you can't even explain because, like I said, it is it is so unique. Transplant mm -hmm. is unique to every single person. Recovery was much, much harder than I ever envisioned, envisioned it to be. It's just so, so long and you can't be impatient with yourself. Yeah, of course. You, you have to just take your time and realise that you will get there in the end and just do what you can when you can. You will have days where you can't do much at all and days where you can do things that you, you didn't think you'd ever be able to do again. It, it is hard though, you know, mm. your body has been through something absolutely massive and you have to give it time and you have to be really patient and gentle with your body, I think, rather than just being worried it's never gonna be the same and just look after yourself as much as you can. Mm -hmm. And was organ donation, was it a conversation that you had had with your wife or your family before, you know, all of this happened to you? Was it something that you kind of thought of? Because I know for a lot of people, like, until it happens to you, you don't necessarily think about it. So was it a conversation that you had had openly before? Yeah, I don't think we, we'd actually talked about it too much. Um, I am an organ donor and I know we definitely discussed it but not in terms of that we ever thought it would happen yeah, obviously but I know a lot more about it now I've learned a lot about it I've learned about you know obviously how important it is how many lives can be saved um and I probably go on about it a bit too much to my friends and family but <laughs> lots of them have signed up which has been lovely and and loads and loads of people because I update a lot on my Facebook so a lot of people on my Facebook group have have also signed up and I think it is just absolutely vital that you do mm. um it's it's needed desperately and people are waiting a long long time for organs and really if I can ask anything of my family and friends it's that they do sign up yeah. that everyone does if they can mm -hmm. yeah it's very personal but I, I really think if you can if the last thing you ever do is save someone's life then that's just amazing exactly and do you know anything about your organ donor that you're happy to talk about? Yeah, so my donor was a man um, and he was 47, so quite in, quite close in age to me. I know he was a multi-organ donor, which again is incredible. Mm -hmm. That's all I know at the moment. So um, it's coming up to the anniversary and 
I will have a card for his family that I'm going to send after the anniversary, which I've been wanting to do for a long time, but I also wanted to wait until it was past the year mark. Yeah, of course. Um, and yeah, I just want to send a card and, and thank them. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Yeah. And I know some transplant patients struggle with um, donor guilt. Is that something that you've struggled with and do you have any advice for any other transplant patients that are at that stage now where they want to write letters and stuff or have been through a transplant? Is it something you've personally been through or do you have any, any advice to those you know that are struggling with it? I think donor guilt is very common. I think it can be really hard to get your head around what someone has done for you. Yeah. But I would say, you know, the majority of the time, that is probably something they have chosen to do, either by signing up to be a donor themselves or their family has obviously chosen that for them. And I think the best way to understand that is just is just to realise that that's what they wanted. Mm-hmm. They wanted to save someone's life and it just it ended up being your life. And also the best thing you can do is just live live as best you can just do everything you want to do in memory of your donor um, and to honour them and I think that helps a lot with the guilt is that you just do you live your life doubly Mm -hmm. and and just do everything you can to enjoy every minute as they probably would have wanted you to yeah of course yes uh, you spoke about the amazing friendships that you built on the ward and then you've also started a Facebook group do you want to talk about um, what that Facebook group is all about yeah, so I think before I got thrown into the transplant world, I just didn't realise quite how many people were waiting, um, quite how many people were in society that just had no support at all. So I started my own support group. It's a QE transplant friends group, mm. and it's for anyone waiting or anyone that has been through a transplant or any family members connected to those people. I think it's really important that you do make friends in the transplant world and they will be they will become like family they are just uh, you know part of this world that you don't want to be in but, but you are so the support and advice that you get is absolutely invaluable it's just lovely to know that what people have been through and they lift you up on your worst days mm-hmm. so um my group we're all meeting in the summer we're all going to have a meal together oh, there's quite a few that. of us so and we're all at different stages but um we've all become really really good friends yeah and it's lovely it's really lovely so at the worst times you can rely on each other and they and they will pick you up and look after you mm-hmm. and how are you feeling now how is life now i know it's still very fresh what you've been through and everything but what what is life like now for you yeah life is I won't say back to normal because I just don't think there was any normal really leading up to transplant. It was just waiting and waiting. But I would say, I you know, I'm back at work, which is lovely. Um, that's something I didn't know was going to happen mm. or whether it would ever happen again. I'm back just doing everything I can, going out when I can, enjoying the summer, enjoying simple things like going to watch the sunset and going for a walk in the evening. Um, I love nature, so being outside um, and watching nature is just its just so nice. It really is. Yeah, life is uh, busy, I would say. Yeah. Yeah, busy. But when I think back to it a year ago and just the uncertainty of everything and where I am now, but I have worked so, so hard 
um, to get to where I am. I have worked really hard and then I think part of that is um, the psychologist Gemma, mm. who's the transplant psychologist and she's worked with me and she's helped me go through a lot of what happened and understand how it's affected me yeah, and how course. to move forward. So yeah, life is life is lovely. It's um it's not it's not easy. There are some really, really terrible times, especially when I'm in pain. Yeah, of course. Um but yeah, I'm enjoying I'm enjoying being me again. Mm-hmm. And just just being busy and spending time with the people I love. So I'm amazed that it's nearly a year. Um but yeah, life is life is okay. And when you go through something like this, does it make you have a different outlook on life that you had before? Before you know, you've gone through something that is absolutely huge. It's very traumatic for you and your family. Has it changed kind of your perception on life in general? I think it has in terms of, you know, I've always been quite good at realizing this, but you know, time is just not promised at all to anyone. This is not what I thought was going to happen. You know, mm-hmm. at forty-one, you don't realize how much this affects you when you realize that actually. You don't know how long you've got, yeah. but no one knows how long they've got. I think just because I've had a transplant doesn't mean I will die early. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I've always been very much, you know, go out and do what you want to do now. But even more so now. Yeah. Definitely. It does change your outlook. It really does. You see things that you didn't think you would ever see and you go through emotions that you didn't ever realise you would go through. But when you're faced with this... It is about going and doing everything you want to do rather than waiting. You can't wait because there just is not time. Mm -hmm. Time will run out very quickly. Um, You know, unfortunately, people don't always survive transplants. And it is a risk. Now now I have survived. And now I want to live my my life in memory of those, Mm -hmm. my donor and those who didn't survive. Because I think that's really important as well. Definitely. Well, thank you, Gemma, for sharing okay. your story. You've you've told it beautifully, and I do wish you all the best in your recovery. I mean, thank it's you. amazing. It's been a year already. But, I, know. I mean, it goes so fast, doesn't it? But I mean, yeah, it's amazing to see you sat here yeah. a year later. Um, so yeah, I do wish you all the best in your recovery. Thank you. And thank you for being so honest and um, talking so beautifully about everything you've been through. I think it will help someone else and that other family member that might be in that situation. Yeah, so, yeah. I hope so. I hope so. I think, you know, the one thing also, also to say that it, it really is an incredible team, the mm-hmm. transplant team at QE are just Definitely. wonderful. They really are. You know, the nurses and, and the consultants and the surgeons, they will look after you. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, they'll get you back. Amazing. Well, thank you. A huge thank you to Gemma for sharing her story. And if you've made it this far, thank you. Please, can you leave a review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts? That would be much appreciated. And I'll be back same time next week. See you then.